Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Control Yourself podcast. Uh, today's show is brought to you by FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com. FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com is where to go if you're looking for any upcoming certification in any of the functional range systems, including functional range conditioning, functional range assessment, functional range release, and kin stretch. If you're looking for um, certification dates online or in person, go ahead and visit FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com to learn more. Uh, the show is also brought to you today by westside-barbell.com. Uh, if you are in the strength and conditioning world, you know about Westside Barbell. If not, go to westside-barbell.com uh, and get some education on uh, proper strength training methodology, proper power lifting. Uh, these guys make some of the strongest people in the world. And at the site, you will find a bunch of good educational information, including their podcast as well as uh, merchandise and, and some of the coolest strength and conditioning equipment that you're going to find. That is at westside-barbell.com. Use the promo code DRE10, D-R-E-10, upon checkup, uh, not checkup, upon checkout to receive 10% off your purchases. On today's show, I speak with two gentlemen, um, the first of which is Seth Shaw, who is a IFBB professional bodybuilder and is the 2017 IFBB North American champion. Um, as well, I speak to neuromuscular therapist John Quint, who is also a functional range systems instructor. He teaches my functional range conditioning, functional range assessment, release uh, courses. He is also a former competitive bodybuilder. Uh, he is also the head therapist at Westside Barbell, and now he is the head therapist for many uh, professional uh, athletes, including many, many bodybuilders as well. Uh, on the show today, we talk a lot about uh, the current state of professional bodybuilding. Uh, we talk about their particular methodology, which combines my systems, the functional range systems with bodybuilding training uh, in order to produce bodybuilders who uh, are also able to move very effectively and therefore display uh, their muscularity. So we get into how functional range conditioning can help uh, professional bodybuilders in their posing routines. We also talk a lot about the uh, particular functional range systems strength methodology that uh, Seth incorporates into his training um, how he you know uh, targets muscle groups. We we get into the reps and sets. We also talk a little bit about nutrition um, for bodybuilding competition, as well as some injury prevention stuff. A uh, lot of good information. Um, so without further delay, I bring you my conversation with John Quint and Seth Shaw. Okay, welcome to the Control Yourself podcast. I'm Dr. Andrea Osvina, and I am here with two of the largest gentlemen that I have ever met in my life. <laughs> uh, starting with the, uh, the one that's trying to look smart by wearing glasses. <laughs> we all know <laughs> Seth is new to me, so he's going he's gonna to be laughing for a lot of this, I would assume. And then he'll kind of, it'll, it'll stop getting funny in about 30 <laughs> So we have John Quint. John, if you can, if you can wave. Hello. John Quint, uh, as many of you know, is a functional range systems instructor. 
Uh, he is also uh, a trainer uh, of the stars of a lot of uh, professional athletes and bodybuilders, as well as a, uh, he works at Westside Barbell. And then we have on the bottom screen, in the blue shirt, we have uh, Seth Shaw, uh, who is a IBFF, no, IFBB. That's right. I'm assuming that's International Federation of Bodybuilder, yeah? That is correct. Okay, we're going to have to learn a lot about bodybuilding now because I got out in the days of like Paul Dillett and shit. So you're going to have to. Catch oh, yeah. Me up. He was yeah. he was big. He you're going to have big. to catch me up from then on. So we're here with the IFBB bodybuilder, uh, Seth Shaw. Um, and the two of these guys together, uh, they put together a website called. Uh, well, is it, a, is it a website yet or is it just on Instagram right now? At This Is Bodybuilding? Is that, is that yeah, a website? it's a website. It is a website. Yeah, we got a membership website. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that. But this is actually the first time I've ever met Seth. It feels like I know you uh, because uh, these two are training partners. And I travel with uh, Quint all over the world, as most people know, doing seminars. So, uh, so we've chatted a great deal. But this is the first time I'm actually meeting you. So, Seth, if you don't mind giving us like a potted uh, version of uh, who you are and what you do at this point. So, yeah, I started uh, bodybuilding. I started working out back in 2008 when I got out of the military or I got back from basic training in the military. And my buddy took me to the gym and we started training. Then I went to a bodybuilding show a couple months later. He convinced me to do a show. So in 2010, I did a novice heavyweight uh, bodybuilding show. I ended up winning that. And then I started uh, getting bigger, reading magazines, uh, competed in 2012 and a couple more shows. 2013, I did another show. 2014, a couple more. Um, 2016, I did my first national show. I did the Junior USA. Uh, then I took me to 2017. I did North Americans. John and I started training back in 2016 after I did the Junior USA. I did the North Americans, won that. Um, then we did Chicago Pro in 2018. I took last year off. And this year, we're going to come back. And we're supposed to do Indiana, which was in May. And they canceled that. And then California. So... They pushed that back to uh, June, so that's what we're planning on doing now, the end of June. And I competed in uh, 2010 around like 180 pounds. This year I should be in the 260s. Well, that's a so little bit of a jump, eh? You've been yeah, uh, adding, uh, adding uh, chicken breast to your meal, I'm assuming? A little bit of chicken breast, a little bit of you know hot sauce, oh, a little bit of whatever. You're, you're like fucking another human since that time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you know, what is that? 180 to 260 something in 10 years. I mean, that's a steady progression. I did have a little bit, bit of a jump from 2012 to 2013, and then um, 2016 to 17, I put another 10 on, and so it's just slowly coming together, you know. Just to give everyone some context, we were supposed to do this uh, out in Columbus. If you remember, John, I was planning on coming down and visiting West Side and and uh, hooking up. Uh, with you guys down there for a live and then we slowly fell into Orwellian 1984 uh, which is where we are right now uh, so we're in the the uh, coronavirus outbreak and that's why we're uh, we're, we're doing it like this um, in case uh, anybody's uh, in case anybody wanted to know uh, and quit uh, a lot of guys know you but we might as well do a, a brief intro as well what have you been doing lately sir and why are you important go you have 30 seconds uh, what I've been doing lately, uh, a lot of things. I've uh, been working, obviously, with you and uh, functional range systems. 
And then I've uh, been working with Seth. Uh, like he said, we were in preparation for a show and kind of still in, am uh, treating it like prep mode. Uh, yeah, sure. But those plans have kind of been uh, diverted, which uh, we're taking it as a good thing to get some more time. And it's kind of where things stand for now. So right now it's, uh, you said it's, it's rescheduled for June. Is that what you said? Yeah, the end of June is supposed to be like the June 27th in California. They have another show in Boston on June the 20th, but I was kind of set on doing the California. Okay. Yeah, well, eventually, I'm sure. So, guys, catch me up then uh, in the world of bodybuilding. Uh, I know I've been hanging out with, with Quint a lot, so he's been telling me about a lot of stuff. But uh, what, what is the current uh, landscape of bodybuilding? Would you guys say that the sport is, is generally coming back with, a, with an uptick? Uh, since I was, uh, you know, like I said, you know, Lee Priest and, 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 and Dillard and, and who else was there? I mean, the, the years of Dorian, I remember all those, of course. Uh, and then, uh, I guess Francois, Coleman, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for whatever reason I had a dip off the radar and, and now I'm just, I'm hearing about, I'm hearing about it now. So is that because of, uh, an increased interest or what's going on? What's the landscape like? Thank you. Well, I think like go ahead john no i think the landscapes changed tremendously because back then it was only bodybuilding now you have a, a bunch of other classes that are also competitive and seth you i don't i don't know all of them you can speak to that but i think it's changed tremendously yeah i think just what he said listen like what dave palumbo and those guys talk about so like the pool of bodybuilders now it's not so much elite so you don't have like just like a small group of elite guys you have like these guys doing men's physique and you have these guys doing classic physique so it's pulling away from you know the genetic elite people to be monsters they think you know they want to do these other classes so there's more stuff available like as a sport as a whole it's growing but bodybuilding is getting started because there's so many other divisions where everybody's just gravitating towards that it's like like chris bumstead is the um the mint the classic physique um olympia champion but like if he would just get bigger just imagine what he would look like with 30 more pounds on with his small waist and you know his shape and everything like he would do really well in the open but you know who knows if, why why he wants to stay in classic when he could be a monster and look really pretty and classical as you know a bigger bodybuilder say he's 250 or 260 you know what i mean well you know what for so someone it's just a lot smaller now so for someone listening who's not aware of what you mean by classic and what you mean by like, how does that, how is that defined in the world of bodybuilding? So in the men's open, it's anything over 212 pounds. And then, so they have classic uh, physique, which they wear different shorts and it's based on their height and weight. So they have to make a certain criteria to compete in that. And so I think he's like maybe six foot one or something, 230. So just imagine, you know, if he was like my size, you know, he has a small waist too and good structure, you know, he could be just like me or even better. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. And with regards to the, the, the training, like I know it, for people who are following you, uh, one of the things that, that people would find interesting is that when you watch uh, the work that you guys are doing, um, there's, there's a lot of different focus uh, on the, the importance of movement. So I wanted to talk a lot about that uh, and a lot about the idea of bodybuilding, uh, you know, despite the physique uh, component, which I want to get into and what it, what it, you know, what the upkeep is like, what your diet's like and all that stuff. But I want to talk more about um, 
how you guys seem to be putting a larger importance on the ability to move your mass uh, through the global workspace. So in other words, the, the ability to display uh, mass that you're putting on uh, or to display the physique. I mean, if you go back to, uh, to Arnold, I remember the videos of him in ballet class, for example, uh, where he was, you know, posing was, uh, was, was really important. And then I, if I, I could be wrong, but I, I think bodybuilding at one point went kind of away from that concept to like the largest person wins to a certain extent. And, and now I, I feel like, or maybe it's just watching you guys train that there's another focus now on the ability to display um, and, and the display aspect of bodybuilding over just the, the you know, pure mass. Yeah, I think that analysis is, is pretty accurate. I think um, I think what Seth, what we're trying to do with Seth, you know, it's interesting when Seth did the North Americans, a lot of people said he should have competed in a different class, right? That was the feedback going into it. And then he ended up winning not only his weight class, which was super heavyweight, but also the overall. So it kind of shows that I think what Seth is doing and kind of the look that we're going for is a different look and a different approach than what is currently being rewarded as best bodybuilder. Uh, would you agree with that, Seth? Yeah, you're right. I mean, we, you know, we, I mean, you talk about it all the time. Everybody wants to debate me and say they have to do all this stuff and all this stuff. And it's just like, you're constantly trying to tell them like, this isn't what you need to do. This is what you should be doing. But you know, they're so stuck in their ways. They don't want to like do what's actual and you know, the, the literature and what you're supposed to be doing. They're going off of just what Joe Blow did, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. And all these guys preaching high volume and all this other stuff. And it does make a different look, just like what you said about like, it's not, they don't have that dense muscle anymore. It's like it's inflated from drug use and carbohydrates and stuff like that. So they have a totally different look than what we're trying to do. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at a comparison between Dorian Yates uh, or really any of the top bodybuilders back in the early 90s, and then you take a, a, a photo side-by-side -side of even, let's say, Phil Heath, who is equally as dominant, uh, in regards to titles one, you'll see a totally different physique. Like it looks totally different with Dorian. You're going to see straight and dry, like real hard, dry musculature with uh, Phil Heath. Uh, and Phil Heath is a great bodybuilder. I'm not taking anything away from him. It's just the appearance is a much smoother, less dried look. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it's, it's evident. It's more round. It's like round and bubbly. Right, which is, which is the reason the debate that, that we go back and forth, uh, like the philosophy that we have on training is uh, high intensity training. And so if we're going to train at high intensities, which is what, you know, the guys in the 90s did like Dorian, then we have to choose uh, low volume. There's just no if and buts about it. And so uh, the majority of guys right now, it, it appears the trend is to do high volume. And it appears that the high volume isn't really giving them tissue. Maybe it's just giving them the ability to push more nutrients into the blood to make it appear rounder and bigger, but it doesn't have that dry look like, like, like you would see in the nineties. It looks totally different. And, and, and there's people who are, are restricting going like there. At what point did that change? Because I, I remember back when I was, was kind of following and, and back in the days of Dorian, 
uh, hearing, you know, his training protocol and almost being maybe naive to think that that was what's being taken up by most people and, and kind of that's where, where people are today. So, but you're, are you saying that that's not what's being done? Is, is that kind of that Dorian high intensity method not uh, what's being currently utilized in, in, in bodybuilding? And if so, how not, like no. how the difference? Well, I mean, the, Jay Cutler always talks about high volume, high volume, and all these guys have like switched to that. And I think that's what John's saying down there. It's like it's made a different look to what bodybuilding is. Mm-hmm. So I think everybody needs to try to get back to, you know, what makes a physique and not just what's trendy or whatever. I mean, I've had people hire me before and I sent them a three or four day week uh, train split and they instantly got rid of me. They're like, well, I got to work out 16. I do 16 workouts a week or something crazy like that. I'm like, well, why? They're like, well, that's what I need to do. But I mean, we didn't talk about before, like Enser always said something like bodybuilders don't have anything else going outside their, you know, the gym. So they use the gym as like a social thing and something for them to do every day. So they're like in there just like just to pass time. They're not in there just to train, you know what I mean? Do what's just required. So they're just in there doing whatever just to, just to pass the time. Well, I guess the, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not unlike most other training systems nowadays where the first one to vomit wins, right? It's kind of like, uh, you know, intensity, do more, pour more on, uh, and, and the people who, you know, survive that onslaught of tissue insult at the end, end up being victorious. Um, but I mean, with that kind of volume that other people are putting in, uh, John, when you're programming, do you notice, I, I mean, I, I think I know the answer to this, but a decrease obviously in injury uh, or a mitigation of injuries when you're uh, decreasing the amount of volume and trading it for intensity, obviously. Yeah, of course. And um, one, of the, one of the things uh, that I also think is that people are doing muscle building. They're not doing bodybuilding. Right. So they're trying to build muscle at the cost of everything. Right. What we're trying to do is we're trying to do legitimate bodybuilding. So we care about certain objective findings like, you know, joint range of motion, like the exercise selection, uh, like how we're doing stuff isn't just at random. Right. I, I think what happens, too, is, is even when guys are doing the machines, I think the reason why the physiques are getting weird is because they're doing so much high volume around the machines. Mm-hmm. So they actually look like they're built around the machines. So you'll see guys that are just incredibly musculature. Like they're, they have crazy amounts of tissue, but it just looks weird. It doesn't look, it's not aesthetically pleasing. I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, Seth was able to win the overall at the North Americans, which the only other super heavyweight that was able to do that was Dallas McCarver. And I think the reason why is because of the approach that, that we took where it's like, you know, we're obviously running functional range system in the background and we're trying to build the body while we also build tissue. We're not just, the sole focus isn't just tissue. And I think the state of bodybuilding is just muscle tissue building. And that's the reason why you see no longevity in the sport anymore. You see high injury rates. Uh, guys don't, I mean, if we're real about it, you know, you can watch Blood and Guts. You can watch Dorian train those guys from the 90. You can see all the footage of the training that they did. And now to try to get access to that type of training footage, you're not going to get it because the intensity is, is, is gone. It's very minimal. And the volume is through the roof. And I think the volume is through the roof. I don't know the science behind it, uh, but I think it's through the roof so that they can use, use basically restorative measures to really start to push nutrients into the tissue, which – 
because an interesting thing, the a discussion we were having yesterday, Seth, was we were talking about, you know, prior to the contest in, in, in reducing the volume of training the week of, which, which is what, you know, you know, I competed in bodybuilding and that's what I would do. Right. But I competed in bodybuilding in a, in a, in a different era than you, Seth, even though we competed against each other. Right. It, but the, at the end, yeah, your last show, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so you got to figure that, um, that, that, now they're now that you see them training literally the day before the show and i think it's because they don't really have muscle tissue so they need to push stuff into the they're just filling it up yeah they're just using insulin and other forms of drugs to really shuttle nutrients into the tissue but they're not giving the tissue the stimulus that's required because it, at the end of the day when you look at the program if you're if you're a strength coach and you understand hypertrophy it, it makes zero sense you know Is what? that why they just go flat then? That's probably why they look flat all the time because they need all that food to stay full. Yeah, and everybody's trying to do all these tricks and all this other bullshit where it's like, you know, I, I know when I competed, like I didn't have to do all that bullshit at the end of it. I, I was ready to compete by, you know, Tuesday realistically and you're just getting better and better. I was, the last thing I was thinking about doing was training. Right. You know now, what? There, there, there's, a, there's a lot we got to unpack there because – especially for the people listening. And I mean, <clears throat> we've been over this before, but there's a lot of uh, things that you were saying, John, which, which brings us back to uh, our discussions over the past year or, or, or so. You said something about how the people's bodies were molding to the machine or how the person's body was molding to the exercise. And I think that we should take a, a second here because you know, the three of us would understand why. I know, Quint, you and I lecture about this, you know, all around the world. And Seth, I know that, that you've been training with John for a long time. And I think a lot of that problem is, is reflected in, in problematic uh, training in other sports where people don't really appreciate what a muscle is. Um, and and I, I always get nailed with being, you know, a stickler for nomenclature and for the usage of words. But I think it's important to understand that a muscle's not one thing, a muscle is thousands of things. Um, in other words, every muscle cell is in its own right, its own muscle with its own length tension curve, its own force velocity curve, its own, its own strength curve, its own strain curve. Um, and what I'm, I guess I'm getting at is what you guys are doing and what I know the functional range systems is, 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 has been trying to discuss for years is the idea that the body going to the machine is as important as the machine or exercise selection. So you can go to a machine and train the pattern of the chest press as per the machine, or you can use the machine to add or access or to input adaptation in a variety of different lines of the pec, because the pec is not one thing. The pec is, thousands and thousands of individual things. So let's start with that. Let's start with kind of breaking down what you were saying. So what you're saying is they're using the same tissue all the time in a sense, because when a muscle contracts, the all or none principle does not refer to the entire muscle, but to motor units within that muscle. So conceivably, if you take a, a, a human being and you put them in a seated chest press machine, what they're going to get out of it is not just determined by the machine itself, but it's also determined by the body who is coming to the machine. Yeah, a hundred percent. 
Yeah. Okay. So now, Seth, when when you're approaching a set, and this is interesting from from my standpoint, because when you're doing, say, a leg curl, what you're doing is a combination of of the leg curl machine, but you're exploring what it is to curl the leg. In other words, you're not just taking one line of action, you're looking for multiple lines of tissue. So explain one right. set so, yeah, to when I'm, versus one set to most people. So one set to most people, most of them are not going into hip extension anyway. They're just kind of just, just doing the machine, as you say, and they're just, just curling it up. I'm like, I am, when I'm in there, I'm focusing on contracting my glutes, my hamstrings, my calves. I'm squeezing it up. I'm rotating all of it in and out, and I'm finding different lines. I'm taking it up this way and then maybe I turn it just a little bit and bring it back down then I'll bring it back up this way and turn it a little bit just finding all those new lines of tension and bring it back down and then I'm not taking it all the way all the way down maybe I'm just coming down a little bit finding those different lines and then pulling it back up so like I had a big problem I still do I'm still trying to figure it out more and more um we just talked about it on my chest press but like I'm going too far I'm always thinking get more range to get more stretch but like range sometimes i'm taking it off the muscle where i need to shorten that range and really squeeze more and figure out okay this is where it's starting to feel like it's coming off the muscle i need to just pull it back up or push it back up there and like yesterday when we did the other day when we did chest like i'm like john i feel something different in my chest i never felt before he's like yeah because you're going too far down you can see in the, the video I'm, I'm taking it way out of off of my pec and it's just going into my shoulder and then I got to recompensate, get back to where I was just to press the weight back, back up. So that's what I've, I've been doing. I have to consciously think, like, I got to keep this on the muscle and not take it too far. You know what I mean? I'm just, I, was, I was just going way too far down and not, I was letting it come off the muscle. But, but, yeah, I'm always just constantly turning, finding new, new lines and just pulling it back up and just keeping it on the muscle there. I mean, two important things there. And, John, we can translate into our language, but – what he's really saying there is, is he's almost doing uh, cars, which is like an exploration of, of, of a workspace. Um, and, and he's kind of searching for different lines to train because really that's what, that's the difference between, I guess, body, bodybuilding and, and training or bodybuilding and weightlifting where, you know, with weightlifting, the, the goal is the, is the, the lifting of the weight. Whereas in bodybuilding, the goal is, the effect the weight has on you, not the effect you have on the weight, right? So that's, and that's a completely different way of thinking. Uh, and, and I know that to be true in a, in a bunch of other sports, like when I'm training my guys, uh, the idea that you have to tell pers a people, person what you're supposed to be pushing with is another thing that I'm always amazed that people are missing in the gym. For bodybuilding, it's, it's probably more important than any other sport where you have to bring conscious focus to the, the intent of finding lines of tissue to, to train and, and, and the constant push to grabbing more and more lines so that you're not consistently training the same lines of tissue same ones. Yeah. all the time. Because, I mean, we've talked about this before. You keep hitting the same line of tissue. You keep running the same pattern. I mean, the tissue cannot adapt indefinitely. You can't just take the same line and hope that it's going to adapt forever. I mean, you're going to accommodate or you're going to get injured or you're going to plateau. So I know this is something that you talk about at our seminars a lot, Quint. So if you want to, to take off from there, 
the concept of accommodation uh, with regards to training in this in this fashion. Yeah, uh, for the lifters, it, it's interesting. Seth is in a unique position because we do so much uh, functional range systems work internally. What he has, it's interesting. Like, like working with him and working with other lifters, he has so much available workspace that it can actually start to become a, a, inhibit him from performing from being able to train certain tissues. So he has so like cues that you would give other lifters you won't give to Seth because he has such good joint range of motion, right? His problem is, is training the tissue, not the joint. So when we're doing our external based training, which is our weightlifting, right? He has so much access to so much stuff. It's narrowing the access down that he specifically needs to train. So when we're doing our, you know, Ken stretch and all this other stuff, what's happening is he's, he's searching for new lines of tension to expand in training what he needs to do slightly better is to train the line of tension right so that's what that's the big cue that i always try to portray i don't know if i ever do a good job of articulating it but when weight training uh you know i always say you know on like the eccentric phase or the lowering phase you should start to feel tissue under load lengthening and so what you're doing is you're controlling that eccentric. And then what you're going to do is you're going to try and generate force into that tension. So from wherever you feel that tension, you're trying to drive force from. And, and the big thing I, the, that I think has really helped Seth out, Seth out, it's helped me out tremendously, is basically the same approach that we would take in FR, where it's search and load and you're trying to find tissues of restriction or realistically just tension. In training, you're just trying to find tension. And then as soon as you come off that tension, you've probably went out of range of motion just a little bit too much and you need to actually shorten it, right? So that's the, I think that's the funny part is because Seth has such great joints from all the training that we're doing, it's actually that he has the inverse problem that most lifters have. Most, most lifters can't even get into a range of motion to train tissue because the joint's so restricted. Whereas Seth has so much workspace that he that we have to constrain where he does work at so if he's training his pecs right his his chest his problem is he's able to go down too far to where the tension comes off mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. let's 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 bring that back to someone who because seth has a unique problem which is a good problem to have in right. the context of bodybuilding right but for right. someone listening to this first off he said something in there uh, fr release uh, uh, fr release is functional range release that's our soft tissue uh, management system and what we're referring to there is when we're teaching functional range release we're consistently teaching the practitioners to not think about the assessment and treatment of a muscle like to say I'm treating a hamstring makes little to no sense because you know what's a hamstring number one you know are you talking about the biceps femoris group are you talking about the semi group if you're talking about the semi group which part of the semi group the membranosis the tendinosis if you're talking about the membranosis which of the thousands of muscle fibers are you talking about so in FR release, we, we, we go painstakingly, uh, we take a lot of time to teach how to find lines of tissue as opposed to how to find or how to name muscles and point to muscles. So we're trying to find tissue lines. And what you were saying is that you guys are, are approaching it in the same way where you, knowing that a muscle has a variety of different lines of tension because there's thousands of different fibers in a three-dimensional construct, 
you have to teach your lifter to find and lift within the strain. So you have to put them in the muscle uh, so that they can feel where to pull from. Is that, is that, am I getting that correctly? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Seth, you can go on because uh, I think Seth, as a lifter, is excellent at doing this. Okay. He's able to really be able to figure out where the line of tension is and how to produce force against that tension. Okay, you, so how, how, would you, how would you give advice then? Let's go with this first. How would you give advice to a novice lifter um, looking to do the same? Like through the course of a set, Seth, what do you – you said it You said it before. Let's break it down a little bit more. You're starting the set. Do you have an intended uh, rep range that you're looking for or are you just failing at each time or how does that work? Well, we're supposed to be doing, you know, a certain rep range, but sometimes if you can go past that, you know, we just go past that if you still have some left in the tank. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, like what I was saying, like if we go back to the hamstring curl, I'm just, I'm, I, I close my eyes when I do every set so I can just really focus in on what body part I'm trying to train or even like biceps, like I'll pull, I, you know, I'm pulling it up, I'm turning this way, I'll turn this way, just finding all those different, all those different lines. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I just always just trying to shorten that. I guess what I'd be technically shortening my range of motion, John, just to stay on there and not go too far, right? Yeah. So you're okay. self-restricting on the thing. And when you're saying, getting back to what we were saying before, uh, the concept of workspace. So how, John, do you, with, with your lifters, like I have to do this with my athletes uh, all the time. I have to explain to them, the the reason why i'm putting so much emphasis on the cultivation of workspace right Uh, i've lectured on this before the idea that the workspace is the primary determinant as to how met how much muscle tissue you have access to so someone you give me someone with a restricted workspace um you know we you actually have to take time to convince them that that's a problem which is amazing to me um, that they don't understand that if you have very little access to your shoulder, that means you have very little access to straining lines of tissue in your shoulder. Uh, so it, it's always this hump you have to get over where you have to explain why workspace is important. So John, as a, as a person specializing in bodybuilders, what is the message there about the preservation of space and the cultivation of workspace? Uh, and, and when we say workspace, we're of course saying, joint space that can be translated into, you know, increasing the available space you can do work in. Yeah. I mean, it's of critical importance. That's why I said right now, I think what you have is bodybuilding going on or muscle building going on and not bodybuilding because they're building bigger muscles. Yes. But you know, like the Arnold was was just in town and you know, we like, you know, Seth and I, you know, working with one of his, his close friends, and I mean, there's, there's almost no joint there, but there's tons of tissue, right? Mm-hmm. And so what you see is muscle building, but it's not bodybuilding. That's what I, that's what I keep telling Seth. And, and because of that too, a factor that bodybuilders don't take into consideration, like you said, not only do you have less access to train more tissue, right? But also when you're on stage, I think one of the things that gives Seth a huge advantage that is hard to see in his pictures is he can actually move in and out of poses. These guys can't move in and out of poses and they can't really display what they have. So, you know, even if you look at it from a display standpoint, 
if you don't have, you know, 90 degrees of external rotation in your shoulder joint, yeah, you're going to, you're not going to really be able to show your delt. There's going to be no striations mm -hmm. in your tricep, any of this stuff. And then you're going to have to really work hard up on stage to do that. And I think, uh, I think that is, uh, where do you start and explain to someone how important this is? I think the only way that, that, that it happens is through them not seeing results or getting injured and really coming to, to terms that bodybuilding is more than just performing exercises. I mean, it, it, it is, but it's still, it, it does still serve a, a challenge though. You know what I mean? Because it, the, the fact of the matter is when they don't see results, then most people, they, they or most trainers, they blame it on things that, that may not be causative. You know what I mean? Like you go in and, and you just keep doing the same thing everyone else is doing. Um, you know, you have a shitty joint space. You have a, sh a shitty shoulder. I say, show me your shoulder you know, draw a circle with your shoulder, you, you don't have the capacity to move your shoulder independent of the rest of your body. And then you start piling on these pattern exercises. And then you realize that if you're doing a shoulder exercise without a shoulder, well, technically, then you'd have to compensate with something else. And that other thing, whatever you're compensating uh, for your shitty shoulder with, it's probably not a shoulder. And then you run into the same injury. So I don't know if it's as easy as they don't see results. I think we can logically run through this. Like, for example, with all of my athletes, professional baseball pitchers or tennis uh, players, scapular mobility, let's, uh, scapular control, let's start there. Um, most people, I, I think, overdiagnose the concept that scapulas are hypermobile, like they move all over the place. And they're, I think maybe because people see winging of the scapula and they pretend like that's a real important finding. Uh, where for me, and I think John, you would agree, if you have a winging scapula statically, as long as you can put it in place when you need to and move it at your direction, at the direction of your nervous system, I care very little for the static uh, positioning of the, the scapula. But with regards to bodybuilding, if you don't have the ability to move the scapula relative to your thoracic cage, I mean, that's a determining factor as to how well your lat spread is demonstrated, correct? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but I mean, when he, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, Seth. Go ahead. Well, I noticed like he's. I mean, for the Chicago Pro, I mean, he. I remember him laying me down and doing something to my scapulas, and then when I hit my back lat spread, I could open up further. When he worked on my shoulders, I could rotate my arms back further, made my back look bigger. So just like what you're saying, like the more access you have this stuff, the more tissues that you can train, the more that you can display when you're on stage. So what is the what is the percentage then of internal to external training that you're programming for Seth right now. So that, that in and of itself might not be a common uh, terminology for a lot of people. We consider in, in our environment, internal training to be functional range conditioning work or work within the functional range system where we're trying to improve the body itself, not necessarily the, the external uh, displays of strength. And then you have external training, which we define as everything else, you know, uh, named exercise, uh, you know, patterned exercise, patterned motion. So with regards to body, uh, to programming for a bodybuilder, John, what are you, what are you doing with regards to the volume of internal training to external training? Yeah. I mean, optimally speaking, it would be at 50, 50. And that's if you don't have any joint issues, right? So 
you know, I think Seth and I are in a unique situation where we train at a high intensity externally with low volume, which gives us a lot of days technically off from the gym. Okay. So we're training only three days a week. Um, and then uh, using resistance, right, as far as external base resistance. And then other than that, it's, it's equal, if not more. And one of the things that we're doing too in, in, is we also do the internal base training with the external base training. So it's like the majority of, like every time we lift, we start with some version of a spine car. Uh, I know this week we really pushed the spine cars real hard on the back day. Um, and then, but it's the same thing. Like when we're going through a joint, you know, we, we'll be doing controlled articular rotations prior to, do, prior to doing exercises, uh, before exer exercises, uh, ramping up the intensity. You know, uh, like a lot of the hamstring stuff that, that, that we do is predicated with, you know, doing cars from reverse. So real hard, high level uh, controlled articular rotations uh, in between warm-up sets. And just, I mean, it, a lot of it too is now that Seth is getting better at knowing his body, like he'll just be doing cars on a regular basis all the time. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Like randomly. <laughs> yeah, I'll just be sitting there. I'll be doing next stuff. Or I'll be doing, we stay in the kitchen. I'll be doing like spine cars in the kitchen. I mean, you must, uh, you must, oh, you must look ridiculous in the gym though. Like you've spoken to this. Do people stare at you like, what the fuck is this, this, the, are these two monsters doing? Like, I'm sure they are. <laughs> bicep curls and. And, and tricep extensions and shit. People just like staring all the fucking time, yeah? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah I'm sure that. <laughs> that can talk to it, but yeah, I mean, we get a lot of people that uh, come up to us. Now we're kind of at more of a closed training facility. Uh, so it's just us, which is a lot nicer because we don't get all the questions coming up. Not that I don't mind it. We're there to, we're there to, to train at a high intensity and, and get out as soon as we can. Uh, I think that's the that's the biggest difference. Uh, like I said, is what we do is a high intensity. It's a low volume externally, and which makes us be able to train a lot more stuff, right? So we can take time to really train a hip joint and really establish a hip, or you know whatever's needed. And and that extra stuff with regards to internal training, there's you know there's specifically um, there's specific functional range conditioning stuff that I'm assuming you're, ass you're assigning to Seth based on his needs. Um, and, and based on what, but there's, there's also kin stretch. So you're also doing kin stretch classes. How many times a week is that done? Yeah, Seth, you can go ahead and answer. Uh, yeah. So we've been doing them every Sunday for a long time. And then this past couple of weeks, you've been doing it on Wednesdays too. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like he said, we do, so there's two days right there. And then every workout, there's three more days. So we're doing at least five days a week of some type of cars or something like that. So yeah, it's majority and, of the week we're doing stuff like that. You know what, if we, if we gloss over this, I think that people are going to, they're, they're going to miss uh, the importance of what we're saying. So let's back up here and give a little bit of fill in a little bit of nomenclature. If you don't know cars is a controlled articular rotation. So it's pretty much the maximal expression of, of, of joint workspace. If I say, show me what your sh shoulder's capable of, the answer is, is cars. Um, and, and there's a variety of ways to do cars. There's, there's lower intensity cars, middle intensity, higher intensity, there's levels of cars, there's different intents. 
a lot of people online, as most people do, they, they dumb it down to it's just fucking joint circles. But as we know, uh, there, there's a lot more to doing cars. There's a lot more reasoning as, as to why cars are done. But one important thing that I want to point out is, and this is a, a functional range system strength concept that, we, we're, that we've been talking about a lot, John, is the body sees itself from the inside out. So if you were to look at the literature as a whole and you were to, to kind of like try to understand how the body views itself or how the nervous system sees itself, it sees itself from the inside out, meaning that when a movement is initiated, the first echoes or the first signals going back to the brain about how the movement's going start from the deepest layer, the capsule, and then they move progressively outward. So in your training, you're saying you start with cars, but let's talk a little bit about that because that's not just because it's a great way to warm up. It's not like fucking doing, you know, uh, foam rolling or some shit. There's a legitimate <laughs> scientific fucking reason why we're doing that. And it's because, you know, capsule over everything. Your joint capsule is the first signal that will be felt by your central nervous system after the initiation of a movement. So if you, if the body sees itself from the inside out, you're saying that every time you train, you start from the inside and work your way out. Yeah, a hundred percent. And Seth can talk more, talk more about it at length. But I mean, I think one of the biggest things that we've noticed, and I know even from programming uh, other athletes and other sports, like just the spine car, mm -hmm. like you if you can really put time and work into understanding how to do a spine car uh i mean it, it's just a, it's a complete game changer uh seth why don't you talk about that and the like what you say after we we make some good headway maybe doing some pails and rails and then doing some cars and then after so yeah so whatever body part like we transfer like back like if we go do the spine cars before back training, I noticed like a lot more contraction through my lats more so than I've like ever gotten before, like without doing them prior to the exercises, just like we did Pat, what we were doing where they pass his rain liftoffs we did for our hips before we did squats that day or something like that. Like definitely felt more in that, like noticed like more growth in my abductors from doing all this Ken stretch and stuff, you know, prior to the training legs and stuff like that. Like, I feel like it's made a big impact in, in my training and muscle growth because you can feel more stuff back there when you're rowing or, or squatting or whatever you're doing. You, I just feel like you'd get such more of a contraction because maybe because you're opening up more, more stuff back there and you just have access to more stuff to squeeze and contract, you know? Well, I mean, it's, it's, no, uh, it's no secret that if you look at how trainers in general treat the spine, it's it's weird. It's like people don't want the spine to move. It's the funniest thing, John. We talk about this a lot. It's like, the, you know, one of the best exercises for the spine is toted to be the, the bird dog, right? When you're, you're, you're in a quadrupedal position and when you do the exercise, you're told to move everything except your spine. It's like, I always say that if I pick this up and I keep my arm like this and I start moving around like this, no one would tell me this is a good elbow exercise, right? Because my fucking elbow is not moving, right? But with spine training, it seems like all spine training is trying to get you to move other body parts on a spine that's not moving, right? Because 
it's always like strengthen the core, strengthen the core, brace your core, stop moving your spine, stop moving your spine. And I always ask people who are, are, are you know, neutral spine at all times. I'm always like, well, I mean, if, if you're always in neutral spine and you're telling people not to move their spine, and then I ask the same person, how do you maintain the health of a human articulation? And if they've read anything ever, they would say movement. And then I would say, well, how the fuck are you keeping a healthy spine if you're telling people not to move their spine, right? That's the first problem. The second problem is, it's amazing to me, is how people don't see that if the spine doesn't rotate, movement has to be found elsewhere, right? Or, you know, so the spine not moving might lead you to extending further back with your glenohumeral joint than you should. Or the fact that you can't move your spine means that there is tissue in this range that you can't access. But there's so many reasons why evolution has maintained individual spinal segmentation, but there's a plethora of trainers out there, uh, John, and you can speak to this, who are telling people not to move their spine at any cost. Yeah, it doesn't make logical sense at all, but it definitely exists. Um, I think the spine's going to move regardless of whether you want it to move or not. So if you're a trainer, you might as well figure out how the spine functions and then start to treat and start, and start to train people so that they understand how to move their own spine, right? Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're not going to prevent it from not fully. It has to move at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you know what I mean? But Absolutely. I think another big, um, another big thing of feedback that I've gotten from uh, high-level athletes but also from Seth, we, we've discussed this before. It's interesting, like, you know, normally what we'll do is we'll do one controlled articular rotation for the spine uh, prior, to, prior to any type of training. And then we'll do one at a higher intensity. And I don't know what the effect is, but I definitely noticed that in the feedback that other athletes say too, is that overall they're much stronger. And, and I believe because, you know, it houses your central nervous system, you're figuring out how, like, I don't know what the effect would be, but it's funny. There's been one or two times, uh, this was months ago. Remember, we forgot to do the, uh, the, the spine car. I think it was before chest training. And we were like, man, this doesn't feel right. And then we're like, oh, shit, we forgot to do the car. Remember? Right. Yeah, I do remember. There, there's a diff, there's a noticeable difference if you forget to do them. Like it, the contraction is, is just it's just not the same. And you can tell that like yeah, I forgot to do my spine car. Well, I mean, I, I think that John, it's it, I can't give you any hard and fast research, but I can build you, of course, a strong uh, case as to why that would that would make sense. And I think that you another example of this. For, if I'm wrong, you can correct me. But you were telling me at at West Side when you or Tom were doing the, the, the sled pulls, the sled drags, mm -hmm. and you were saying that you were, uh, you know, you would start by doing really, really hard capsular pails rail sets. For those of you who don't understand what we're saying, we're saying that prior to this dynamic effort, you guys were doing really high intensity isometric training for the deep capsular tissue in the shoulder. And you can tell the rest of the story, but if I recall correctly, you were saying you would figure that the fatigue induced by those hard capsular sets would cause the person to be able to pull the sled a lesser distance, but you were finding the exact opposite effect. You were finding that the more you primed that capsule, 
the more workspace was opening up that they could pull through and the decreased amount of fatigue. Is that, is that sum up what you were finding? Yeah, so kind of the, the data on that was we wanted it to be with, with trained athletes and we didn't, want to, we didn't want to kind of muddy the waters by uh, invoking any bias. So what happened, what, what I noticed and, and Tom noticed, we were doing some dynamic effort work on a speed bench and in between it, we were doing capsular cars. Tom Barry from Westside Barbell, just for the record. Westside Barbell, yeah. And, uh, and we were doing capsular cars. And then what was happening was on the bench press, I felt like it was moving at a faster rate, even though my shoulder was more fatigued, which I didn't really think much of it. But then uh, it must have been shortly after that, uh, we were doing it with um, uh, sled uh, pulls. Right, and then it was interesting. So we would do a set. I think Seth, you you did a couple of these with us, where we would do a set of the sideline uh, capsular cars, right? And then we would go out, and the sled would get dragged longer and longer each time. So normally, what happens is, you know, if you're doing a a, a set amount of repetitions, let's say you're going to do eight repetitions, normally you're pulling at the same distance each time, right? Well, what I noticed when you're pulling the sled on the last set, I noticed I was pulling it with such high force that I was having to get out of the way of the sled, meaning the sled was coming at me faster to the point, and that's where it made me notice that, well, this is weird. I feel more fatigued. Technically, I shouldn't be able to do more external work at the end of a workout. Uh, and then that's when it kind of got us to start to explore doing more of those uh, with, uh, with other athletes and, and really starting to program them into the actual program. I, I mean, that, it, again, this is not, so, I mean, this is not something where uh, I can point to direct evidence, right? This is a, a concept that hasn't necessarily been studied as far as I know. Um, but going back to, we were, we were talking about this the other day, John, I mean, with the people that we have to work with, we kind of have to take the evidence that we have and then we have to build theory because we also, we always have to be ahead of the evidence. Uh, the, the, the higher the level of athlete, for those of you who are listening, if you, if you guys really want to deal with high level athletes, uh, or if you're planning on dealing with high level athletes, the higher level athlete you're working with, the further ahead of the curve you have to be, because as soon as you're sticking around doing what everyone else is doing, your athlete is, is, is behind if they're not progressing, right? So you got to use the research to move forward uh, with knowledge. And I would say that you would guys would agree that everyone would say, if you warm up before you train, you get a better result clearly. But I think with regards to training that capsule, there's got to be a priming effect of, of, of warming up the body in the same fashion that the body sees itself where you probably just get, you know, you get some capsular stimulation that gets to the central nervous system. It, it gives up-to-date information as to how the movement's going. The more up-to-date information you get, the more you warm up the particular lines of tissue that you're going to use, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to bore anybody, but I mean, it's not like I can't give you a good reason as to why that would happen. You should be training from the inside out because that's how the body sees itself. I mean, the body is a nervous system with, with meat that grows off of the nervous system, right? The nervous system's a dictator. The meat is there to pull in sensory information. So training in the right pattern or the, in, not in the right pattern, it's a bad term, training in the, in the way the body sees itself 
would, would make a lot of sense uh, yeah. for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and I think the one thing too, uh, I don't know if you recall, Seth, but uh, when I was really taking you through those hip cars, because you were kind of, they weren't as strict as we want them to be. And when we, uh, we have it on video, when you really start to figure out what your hip is. Right. right? And you can start to feel that rotation, right? And then immediately after that, the feedback was, remember, because I think we went into hamstrings and adductors, uh, and you said that the pump was tremendously different. And then, right. and then on top of it, too, the interesting, uh, the other interesting fact on that training, if you remember on that particular day, because we have the video of it, then uh, uh, you were able to get significantly more hip extension, too, in the standing, uh, the standing hamstring curl. Right. And then and then we were able to then take that. And then right after the hamstring curl, what we did was we went and did the um, standing uh, hip cars, but reverse. So back into hip extension. And then when you're in hip, ex hip extension, going into internal, going into external from the hip and then right, right, right. out and through there. And I think that was a I think that was a, a, a huge find for you uh, in being able to access those tissues. Right. I do feel like my hamstrings and stuff, adductors have gotten a lot bigger just from doing those. But too, like when I was doing those articular rotations with the, with my hip, like, just like I said, when I'm doing my, my exercises, when I'm training, like I try to go too far and like, it's like, I got to just consciously like really focus on what my actual hip is and where actual range of motion is in my hip and not go outside of that. Cause then once I, really focus and slow it down a lot more instead of just trying to speed through it. You know, you can feel, feel it a lot more and I don't have as much as range of motion as I thought I had. And then you bring up the next point, which I, I think we're going to have to touch is that slow it down and don't speed through it. I mean, that's a sentence where you guys being pros at this, I mean, that makes sense in its entirety. Uh, but to people listening, that might not make a lot of sense. I see there's a lot of guys in the gym, uh, who's you can tell their main goal is to put on muscle. It's fucking weird though. I don't know if you guys agree, but in gyms nowadays, like it, it's, it's taboo to actually want bigger muscles because function is the, is the, is the only, you know, acceptable goal at this point. You guys notice yet? Yet the number of fucking people taking their shirts off has, has gone up exponentially. Have you guys fucking noticed that? Like there's people training. I'm training to be more human you know, I don't give a fuck about bicep curls. Like, I, you know, I'm functional. I'm fu my, my fucking yeah, God. that's why the whole CrossFit thing, they like to play the functional training, you know? Yeah, I've never but seen then, so many abs and people who are functional in my fucking life. Like, well, I, I've got things, too, where, you know, people say, I bet you can't even move. Like, you're so big. You can't, you know, touch your back or anything. I'm like, well, little do you know. <laughs> well, again, it's because, it's because there, there's such a big lack of understanding as to how this works. The idea that training and making muscles bigger somehow shorten the muscles is, I mean, again, I'm not, I, maybe I don't fucking know, but from all of the reading I've done in the, you know, over the scientific revolution, which is approximately five to 600 years old, I mean, I, I don't know where people got the idea that if something gets more muscular, it gets shorter. Like I mean, Seth, show me your fuck, show me your bicep for one second, dude. Just, oh, just hit a, give me a, give me a hit a bit. Like, okay, listen, if 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 it was fucking true that the the more you look like that, the, the shorter the muscle got, 
that motherfucker should be walking around like this. You know what I mean? Like by the time you get your size, you should be crammed up into a ball of just ripped striated muscle. But that's not how that fucking happens, right? It's, so that's, that's another thing to talk about is that, yeah, if you're training not to move, then you're not going to be able to move. And one thing that bodybuilders a long time ago, I guess Arnold was a pioneer in this as well, is the concept that, you know, if you maintain the ability to move, you can do that and simultaneously build muscle. It's not like one or the other. Yeah, and I mean, technically, your lack of ability to move would 100% constrain you to be able to build muscle. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's one of the same. Right. Now, the, one of the interesting things, too, uh, like a perspective that I have on bodybuilding that Seth and I, we discuss all the time is a, a component, because Seth is always like, when I look at my progress pictures, I don't look as big, like, he does, he, he does he's not pleased with his progress pictures. Mm -hmm. uh, because they definitely don't do him justice, for sure, 100%. I don't know if it, he just doesn't have the ability to take good photos or what. I don't know the angles, man. And plus, I'm too tall. What are you tall. saying, man? <laughs> but, are you saying he's ugly? <laughs> no, not well, at all. Well, like, dude, when I stand there by myself, you know, I'm six foot two, and I look like this big spider thing because I'm so long. And it's like, I feel like I don't look good until you set me next to somebody else. Then I feel like my physique, you know, picks apart all their weaknesses. They got a blocky waist where I might look tall and lanky because I'm so, I got all these long limbs and stuff. You know what, dude? I'm home doing you know nothing. I mean? so Everybody if was saying. Me, if you want me to take pictures of myself as the before. <laughs> or so that's, that's make you feel a lot better. <laughs> that's like what John was saying. Like there was a thread on the online when I did the North Americans. Like, oh, you should do classic, blah, 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 because I, look so you know i don't look big in these pictures i'm so tall but then when you put me next to all these guys then it's like oh okay well this guy does belong and you know his shape you know is a lot better than this guy's shape you know you know it's about a about a look it's not just uh you know how much you know how much somebody weighs you know what i mean because i might not weigh i mean they got you know five foot nine guys that weigh the same amount as i do but you set them next to me you know i look like a better bodybuilder because i have all this flow and shape i can move and they're just like a block, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Think about this too. This is one of the things that I was telling you in regards to trying to acquire more articular space or joint range of motion, right? The interesting, the interesting thing uh, is your ability to move in and out of a pose. So part of the issue that, that, that people don't see because now bodybuilding appears to be this thing that happens online. But what people have forgotten is there's a bodybuilding show and there's a contest and the athletes up there are competing. So there, you have to seek competitive advantages when you're competing. Um, I know when I competed, they would work us hard on stage and they don't do that. I don't think as much now because of the sheer quantities of classes that they have. But the one thing that people aren't yeah. taking into consideration is when Seth gets into a pose, because he has so much space, he moves into that space. And then he displays everything that he has. So let's say somebody has a uh, bigger Terry's and lat than he does. It doesn't really matter because they probably can't move into there, so they can't display it anyway. So when they go to hit a pose, because what people see is they see a picture of the pose. Mm -hmm. When you're competing, when spectators are watching, they see the transition into the pose and there should be an expansion. And what happens is the bigger that the individual gets, the more like what happens is when they squeeze their muscle, it bulges, right? 
it doesn't like they they don't take up any more space they actually get smaller it's this weird look like mm -hmm. but then i know what you're saying it's like they flex and it doesn't move it just it yeah. just stays there like you're expecting something to happen oh transition they're going to know the pose you're watching you're like what there's nothing that fucking happened there like you just squeeze that tissue harder but you know you weren't able to see it but at north americans when you were up for the overall i was concerned so for people that don't know bodybuilding i competed as a super heavyweight uh when i would go to qualify but nationally i would compete as a heavyweight which is 225 and below and there you know muscle is is water right so you know i would get shit at the local level that i wasn't in good enough shape uh I, they wanted me to be drier but what they these so there's a distinct advantage if I'm going up against a light heavyweight. Like I know when I competed and when I would win my class and I would go for the overall, I was always concerned about a light heavyweight, right? And that's what I was concerned about when you won the when you won the overall is who's the light heavyweight and who's the heavyweight, right? But the bottom line was because because what happens is those guys are smaller, they're more dense, so they look like they look bigger, right? So yeah. For the overall it's the best bodybuilder regardless of weight classes, right? So you may have an advantage and the super heavyweight is having more muscle, but now you're going to have to bring the same conditioning. So that's one right. as a super heavyweight, in my opinion, and from my personal experience, I know what other bodybuilders went through. I, I dieted extremely hard because I wasn't competing for my weight class. I was competing for the overall, but the one advantage that you had because when you won that show it was all ones across the board and the reason i believe because as a spectator i was watching live at the show and i could hear other people nature all these other top level uh, uh national level bodybuilders that i was watching uh, on the show and you hands down smoked everyone because you could actually move so it's the same thing like if you want to talk about the importance of a spinal car and to be able to start to get rotation i've already told seth that don't be surprised when you go into a quarter turn, which is a standard pose. You got four, Seth, you can, if I'm wrong, I don't know if it's changed, but you got your quarter turns, which is how everyone's judged. So you got your standing front relax, your side, your back, and then your other side. And then they pull out who they want from there. And then you go through your mandatory poses, which is front double bicep, all the ones that people know about. Well, yeah. one of the things is like when Seth gets into a, a side pose, it looks like he's cheating. They used to call guys out for cheating because they would get so much rotation. And I already told him it's kind of like when Ben Johnson would get false started for in, in the Olympics, but he was just that, that explosive, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think what's going to be interesting because no one in bodybuilding is paying attention to this aspect at all. It's totally untrained that when you get up there to actually show and display what you have, you may, like, you, they may say, oh, you're giving too much rotation, right? Right. Yeah. But that is the actual true display of what the body looks like. That's why when you get into your quarter turns, right, it looks so good because you can see all the detail. He's able to maximally rotate. So that's another thing that bodybuilders don't take into consideration. If you can move into a position, posing isn't, it's hard. Of course it's hard, but it's not nearly as hard if you can move there and then you just contract. Which is, which is, I mean, how many years have we been saying that? It's like yoga is hard. It's like, well, no, yoga's only hard because you haven't done kin stretch right if kin stretch was easy we'd call it yoga right because i mean in kin stretch you're you're learning to to move yourself 
using internal force generation from here to there. So I, I would imagine now thinking about it that the isometric movement paths in kin stretch where we have you isometrically move from one position to another would be extraordinarily important um, for the display of mass, as you're saying. And, and what you're saying is then going back to our workspace idea, it's the, the amount of space in the joint means you have more access to tissue with which to train and then simultaneously the more space in the joint the more tissue that you've trained you can put on display is 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 the correct and when you're up on stage though these guys they don't move so that's mm -hmm. right so when he moves now you get a pop yeah, so yeah, like yeah. When he was competing like it, it honestly, man, uh, I'm not going to lie. It shocked me when I saw you compete. Cause I remember thinking it's not even close. You know what I mean? Because it was just pop, pop. And then when nature was like, fuck man, this thing's over. And they, they didn't even have it even, it was just the quarter turns. Right. So that's the funny part that I think a lot of bodybuilders are leaving on the table is they're thinking that if they build bigger muscles only that they'll take up more space, but that's not true because you, if you can, create big muscles and then also be able to move. Now you're taking up more and more space, which is the reason why I think it's so drastic when you get into the back poses and all that other stuff, because you have so much ability to move and control your spine. And then you can move your shoulder blade independent of your spine. Then you can crank more internal rotations. Yeah. Right? There's a million examples, dude. But the one example I saw you doing Seth is when you're doing your lat pull downs and it's like, there, there's some, there's, you know, you can, you can lock yourself into a somewhat neutral spine and do a lat pull down like everyone else does a lat pull down, which means you're going to hit the exact same line that you've patternized yourself into over the years. But when you're doing it, you're literally going from like a, a full spinal extension car. And then you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're going from a rounded back and you're pulling back and you're segmenting your spine as you're doing it right? Yeah. You can feel a lot more like even on the rows and the rear delt flies and all that other stuff. Like I'm pulling, I'm pulling down or I'm rowing, you know, I'm having my tailbone tucked up high and I'm pulling and then I'm taking, I'm squeezing and then I'm taking everything back. So it's just like, it's hitting everything back there. You do it with, you do it with, with shrugs as well. Like you I do you, it with shrugs and do it with pull downs, spine, rows. Extend the spine as you come up, comes back down, extend back down. Yeah. And take your neck back and all that stuff into it, man. I have my clients do it too. And I'm training them. They said it feels way different. They love it. Now, having said that, just so everyone understands, you wouldn't do that with a client who has dysfunction in the neck. This is of course predicated on the idea that everything is, is working that it, the way right. it should you know what? I wanted to I wanted to to sneak it in here, but I know John. We had a, a conversation. Where the hell were we, John? We were some some city teaching a course. I don't even remember anymore. But um, you guys had the the privilege of of speaking to Dorian recently. Uh, Dorian Yates, right? So how did that yeah, come about? And, and, and that must that's super cool, man. I mean. If, if, if someone's listening and they have no bodybuilding history or, or they, they never knew anything about the sport, I mean, Dorian Yates, anybody who's picked up a muscle and fitness fucking ever knows who Dorian Yates is. So that must have been, that must have been surreal. Yeah, Seth, go ahead and tell him. Yeah, so me and John talked about, like, we want to take our back training to the next level. And we're like, we need to get a hold of Dorian Yates. So I, like, tried to reach out to him on Instagram and, like, didn't reach out. I was like, well... I know Dave Palumbo because I did an interview with him before. So let me reach out to him. So I messaged him, sent him an email. And he's like, well, what do you want his uh, email for? And I'm like, well, I want to 
learn how to train my back. So he gave me his phone number. So I shot him a text and uh, we did a Skype phone call for an hour and we just asked him a bunch of questions and he talked about, you know, his cycles, his back training and just like little things we picked up. We took a bunch of notes and recorded it all and we started applying it and along with all the stuff that we're talking about now. And it, I mean, it's made a big difference to our back training for sure. So what, 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 what is it? Give me, give me a insights. Just like uh, on the hammer strength pull down machine, uh, the ones that you load the plates on the sides, yeah, it's yeah. like, we'll be, we'll be in spinal extension. And then like, instead of pulling down, we're like pulling ourselves down, but then we're like pulling ourselves up at the bottom. That was like a big difference thing that we, that we started applying. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that, like really was like a big difference in that, in that exercise. And I feel like that helped blow up my back a little bit. So it's like he's, he's almost telling you the same advice, right? To like find the, like find the resistance, find the load, find the, the force and, and, and stay in the force or, or, or search for more force. Right. But I think like he, he, I don't think he knows it on like your guys' level. I think he just like found it out from just like trying things, you know? Well, that's how most things are found out. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty fucking smart but i mean is that how he approached all those other training too did you guys get a kind of a well yeah when we watched the blood and gut stuff on the leg press like he had full spinal extension on that too so we started pricking around with that and we yeah i mean i it was it was awesome john has john has all the notes <laughs> john was taking the notes what, what, <laughs> john's what, taking all the notes what did we learn john well i think uh, i think a very important thing that uh, that i learned from that that is, you know, when you have to be aware of what you're doing, right? So a lot of times when we were training back, like we were already aware of spinal extension, but Dorian really brought home the point that like, no, your spine needs to be an extension, mm-hmm. right? He really drove the point home. And then the other point that he drove home strictly in regards to trying to really emphasize the lats in general and train that because you know he's he's kind of known to have that christmas tree back mm-hmm. right so he's got that so, real so am i actually let me see you're lying <laughs> let me see let me see well you, you know i i injured myself and not it's late <laughs> and i just ate a lot of salt so i don't want to take my shirt off you know I mean? okay okay i believe you but uh Sorry, John. But no, the big thing was the spinal extension. And it's funny, you know, he said the one thing that, that he said, well, he said two things that I think were critically important uh, that, that, that we took home. Uh, one was the spine extension. And he says that when he watches people train back, they're not training back because they lose spine extension. So immediately, like we were fortunate enough that we had already done all this preparation work and we were already training you know, like even in the kids uh, class that, that Sarah, my wife teaches, we do a lot, a lot of pails and rails into the spine and all this like global spinal motion. So we were fortunate we were already training that. So as soon as he said to do that, that week, we really emphasized, hey, that spine extension, you know, when you're on the backside of a controlled articular rotation, maintain that and then row from there and bring your spine, bring everything closer together. And I think that really narrowed it down the other thing that I found interesting that he said uh, that this was, uh, I'll give Seth 100% credit on this, was, you know, Seth would keep giving me the advice, you know, at the time we were running a four-day four split, 
uh, I don't know how it was divided up, but we were running a four day split. And he was the one that uh, I had came, I came back with uh, after I got done teaching uh, somewhere with you. And he was like, I think we need to do three days and up the internal training. And, uh, you know, immediately, you know, you know, training four days a week as a, as a bodybuilder is already looked at as being incredibly low volume. Mm -hmm. uh, Dorian, you know, he, Dorian, Menser, you know, all the heavy duty, low, uh, high intensity, uh, low volume guys, you know, the, like four days was like, you look at Dorian, but you know, an interesting thing, Dorian said that he trained four days a week and he still got injured. So he was the one that I think initially said, don't be scared to pull back on the volume of that. And, right. then, and I think that and some of the other research that are reading that you were doing, Seth. And so when you made the suggestion to pull back to three days, initially I was kind of hesitant of it. And then I remember thinking, well, the other training is so illogical and this actually makes logical sense. So why would we not do it? And then ever since we've done that, I've noticed, I mean, we've both noticed and, 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 you know, Seth, you can speak more to this because you work with Chris Aceto. Uh, you know, Chris Aceto, you know, uh, is your nutritionist. So for people that don't know, Seth has to send, you know, multiple times a week, basically pictures of his physique and how he looks. And then that's how he's getting feedback uh, from his nutritionist on how he needs to eat. And the funny part is, I don't know if you, if you let Chris know that, you know, months ago we, we, we pulled the volume down to three, but each week he keeps telling you, this is the best you've ever looked. This is the best you've ever looked. And what you see is we've reduced the volume of external bodybuilding training and up the volume of internal based training. <laughs> right. So it's kind of interesting that going completely against the grain, you know, and you got to figure Chris is somewhat unbiased because he doesn't really know the training that we're doing per se. He knows that, right. that you're training hard. Right. But, <clears throat> but for him to continue, like, he's not going to, he's not going to feed you bullshit. If you're not, better, I, can't, no. John, I can't overemphasize how, you know, based on the stuff that we've been talking about, if you really, you know, listen to this, listen to it again for the people interested in building the body, this is a critical thing that we're saying. Like, it, there's doing a set and then there's doing a motherfucking set right there. And it's, yeah. and it, and you can't, you can't, it's comparing apples to oranges where you take two people and you, you say, well, this is the amount of volume you need. What? No, because there, there, if you're doing something intently to access more lines of muscle tissue so that you can put more adaptation forces and stressors into more tissue, and it's a constant exploration of tissue, uh, in order to adapt, that's a lot different than pumping out, you know, three by five, right? Like you can do, you can do, you know, I do 12 sets. I, I do a thousand sets. It's because it probably takes you 10 sets to equal the amount of stimulus that Seth puts into his biceps with one set. So, it, I mean, talking volume is so crazy. And then by the way, I don't know how many, how often this comes up. But if you're, if volume is the, the outcome measure that you're using in bodybuilding, then what about uh, recovery? R what about your, your heart status? What about your, your conditioning? Like, I mean, if volume is the only variable, then I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong, I probably am wrong. You probably would be doing a lot of conditioning as well. Is this something that's done in bodybuilding or is this something not done in bodybuilding? Cause I can't imagine how anybody can logically say don't 
do conditioning if we're talking sure. about this kind of training? Yeah, so I mean, we, at the beginning of prep, um, well, he told me to get a heart rate monitor several months back and uh, because he's been doing all this cardio and stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll start doing all this cardio. So like when I turned my heart rate monitor on, it was already like in zone three or something like that. Just like just turning it on. on, fucking exploded. <laughs> yeah. So he's like starting out in zone one. I'm in zone three starting off and my heart rate just goes up and just stays up here. Like there's no recovering at all. Mm -hmm. And then, so I started busting out cardio 30, 30, uh, 30 minutes on like my training days, 45 minutes on my off days. Then I end up ramping it up to like an hour every day. And then I started to establish that aerobic base, what he's talking about. So then now you can see his is still better than mine. But like now I can hit zone one. I can go up to zone four, back to zone one before I do these sets. And I have these monster spikes where I can recover and stuff. Mm -hmm. But then back to the, back to the, the training thing, what John was saying, like sometimes I think we should work out even less because – I mean, dude, so what did we do for chest, John? We did three sets for chest. One was a superset, so you can count that as, I guess, one set. We did one exercise, so we did two chest exercises, basically. We did uh, uh, two sets of triceps, and we did two sets for delts. So we did six sets total for that workout, and I was ready to stop after we did, like, three sets. And I'm like, dude, I – I can't even recover from this. I texted him this morning. I said, dude, do you feel like really exhausted? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, there's no way these guys are doing 30 sets per body part because I'm over here doing two to three sets and I'm completely blown out. It's just not the same thing. It's like you need a different word because it's not a set. Like I, I don't, same with me. I don't assign sets like other people assign sets. It's just not, it's just not the same thing. It, it you know, especially when you put someone in a machine, you know, it doesn't even matter a machine because a lot of people listening to this will say, well, yeah, these guys are talking a lot about machines. Uh, that person has no fucking clue what they're talking about. And clearly never not with bodybuilder. We're not talking like CrossFit here, but anyway, it's the same thing when you're doing, it's the same thing when you're doing a, a, you know, a kettlebell swing. If you're, if you're doing the kettlebell swing to replicate what you think a kettlebell swing should look like, then you might as well do a machine because you're doing the exact same thing. Now, if, if you're trying to replicate a kettlebell swing, are you doing that to build back tissue or are you doing that to get faster under load? Like what, what the fuck are you doing it for? So if, if you're doing the kettlebell swing in the same way every time you're sitting, hitting the same tissue, the volume is not going to be the, the predicting factor, if, if that makes sense, John. Yeah, no, it, it does. And it, it's funny, like... I know it, it sounds, it's so counter, counter what everyone appears to be doing. And I mean, you know, I've been around bodybuilding since I was, you know, I've been competitive in bodybuilding. I haven't competed recently, but since 21, uh, I competed at a high level all the way to 28. Seth's been competitive. So we know the current training culture. Uh, I, I treat a lot of bodybuilders and yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird, like, like Seth's saying, I understand what he's saying because for instance, like we, so we're starting to train spine tissue even harder. So now that he really understands how to contract his lats and use his lats, now we're going in and we're trying to build tissue along, you know, his erectors on either side of his spine. Mm. So we did real, real hard, uh, like level three uh, spine cars, uh, and it's funny, we got a video of it. He did two reps, it took him five minutes. Mm. 
Remember that? <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Holy shit, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're supposed to do one, and then I just, like, I guess I kept going. Yeah, and then I stopped. He's like, you gotta go back the other way. And I'm like, did I do two of them? He's like, yeah, you gotta go back the other way. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but he, you were really figuring out stuff. That's the reason why. I, like, when I mean figuring out stuff, he was figuring out how to segmentally use his spine. And, you know, we had him in the, we had him in a belt squat. Uh, so he, so there was only probably about a hundred pounds on there. So it was constraining his pelvis, right? Mm -hmm. and immediately after that. So if you want to talk about volume, there's not a lot of volume here, right? We went into basically like a vertical, you know, instead of a 45 degree back extension, we took a back extension just like this. Mm -hmm. And then we were able to put a bench right here so that he could basically do a passive range hold. For people that don't know what a passive range hold is, it's when you find your passive range. So he found his passive range of motion in, in spine extension. He irradiated hard, so he basically built tension on through his body. Then he released his hands from the bench, and we had him hold that for six seconds, mm. and then eccentrically fail. So when he failed, uh, I think this is accredited to Chimpy, he failed like a parachute. So he failed under control. Right, so he slowly lowered down, and he. What did we do? Six reps. Yeah, and I don't even think the last one I couldn't even. I just I held myself up there, and I just fell straight down. I was holding myself until you counted to six. Right, and so it's funny. So you're still sore to this day from that, correct? Yeah, I feel exhausted. Like if we was if I wasn't moving Saturday, we should probably push the workout, not tomorrow until the next day. Right, Seth has to move. He's moving his where he lives. So mm -hmm. earlier today, when we were talking about the training, the training that we were going to do, he said he was still sore from that. And so that's the reason why I said, well, we'll have to push it back another day. But we're not going to push it back another day just because he's got to move stuff on Saturday. By the way, you said, you said Chimpy. I want to shout out to Josh Halbert, get Chimpy on Instagram. Yeah, and the, and the, he was like, I'm referencing Chimpy. I don't know if everyone's going to understand yeah, and the other thing, too, is I got to give credit to both Dewey and Dana, who, who also are instructors, because when I was working with Dana, this would have been probably two years ago with you in Chicago. Mm. Uh, and actually, you guys both had, you guys beat me to the heart rate monitors. Because I remember we were doing cardio in the hotel, and you both had heart rate monitors. And then I went, and then that, that day, I ordered one for both my wife and I, yeah, and then yeah. I doing it, and then got Seth to come on board. And uh, Seth, another thing that you, you can touch on is also, you know, people were giving you a hard time about the cardio at the gym, right? And the, and the pace at which you were doing it from. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm over here, I'm over here just walking, you know, just okay. chugging along. And you got everybody else over here running. And then the one guy was like, I got this fitness app. Uh, can I record you doing it so I can put it on there and call it the sloth, the sloth program, like giving me crap because I'm walking in zone one. But then I show my heart rate monitor. I'm like, well, it says I burned 54% fat from, you know, calories from fat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're just giving me crap because I'm walking so slow. But I mean, if you're just you're in zone three and zone four and you're doing cardio, I mean, you're just, you're just burning up your carbohydrate sources. So who, who's the dummy now? It, uh, yeah, man. It's again, <laughs> again, it's the number of people who think it a good idea to take the human heart and every time you work it out, just make it go <laughs> as fast as possible. Like, like, think about this. Okay, so I gotta take my watch off so I didn't break my fucking screen. <laughs> but like, 
your heart does this, right? Let's just say your heart does that, right? At okay. that point, right? And now let's say that you have a shitty diet and you smoke or whatever and you have backup. So now you have high blood pressure. So now your, your heart maybe does this, right? That's, that's what it does. So now you walk into the local gym, you know, boot camp fucking Dave or whatever it is. And, and, and immediately there's some asshole telling you to do a Tabata so that you can fucking until your goddamn heart explodes. And it's, listen, for those of you listening, it's dumb. And it's dumb for a variety of reasons uh, because you have to train your heart to do that, but you also have to train your heart to do this. And the slow, the more you slow down when you're doing your cardio, like you're talking about, Seth, the more you allow for what's called eccentric cardiac hypertrophy. So because you're working slower, the ventricle can pull, pull with blood at, at, at a higher rate and that pooling of blood actually increases the amount of workspace you have in your ventricle. So the idea that you can somehow bypass changing the heart uh, tissue by just training fast is, is ridiculous. It's like Seth, you know this from bodybuilding. You say to build muscle, you don't do this. You, you right, right, right. slow it down, right? You, yeah. That's how you change stuff. When you do this, you're doing less to change and you're doing more to get better at doing this. So you're right. But a lot of people, they, they think, a, they think a workout, like you said, is just getting your heart rate up and sweating a bunch and being out of breath. They, they, they think that's an accomplishment, but like, what's the goal here? Is it just to be worn out and tired or is it to accomplish something? Man, listen. So I, I first off, I know we've been talking for a long time, so we got to wrap this up, but I do want to say for those of you listening, if maybe listen again because there's a lot of tips in what we're saying and and just to review the the for bodybuilding as for any other sport the concept of gaining more joint space and gaining more available range of motion and then learning to to add strength to those ranges of motion uh is 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 vital for for all sports including bodybuilding and for bodybuilding this idea of exploration of space during your training and breaking free of these weird predetermined patterns uh, either in the machine or outside of the machine and, and not training to the machine but using the machine to train you I, I think that's a, a big one and the concept of internal training and that you're bringing a body to the lift you're bringing a body to the exercise and you have to spend at least equal amount of time, as you said, John, cultivating changes within the body as you do cultivating, you know, changes of external outcome measures like weight lifted or, you know, whatever other outcome measure people are using. Um, so yeah, guys, what, what, what do we got to, what do we got to plug here? Because I know you guys are doing a lot of this training online and on Instagram, you're showing a lot of it. So where can they find that? Uh, it's kind of like an amalgamation. It's, it's really using, functional range systems as a strength training system, which we're going to talk about in the upcoming months, years. Uh, but where can they find you, Seth, uh, online? So they can find me online on Instagram. If you just type in Seth Shaw underscore IFBB Pro, I'll pop up there. And uh, the link to our website's in my, um, my bio, and it's also in John's bio, too, on his Instagram. Okay. John, anything to, anything to push? You mentioned Sarah and her kin stretch class. I know that Sarah, your wife was teaching kin stretch at, uh, at Matt Brown, the UFC fighters, uh, new gym in Columbus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. obviously it's closed now, uh, for the interim, but 
where can you find her uh, classes? Is she doing anything online, Kinstretch? Uh, yeah, we have a online Kinstretch class. So the people that were coming, we just run it on Zoom now on Sundays and Wednesdays. Okay. I'm not the best at Instagram. I don't know her. It's Sarah Quint, S-A-R-H Quint, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, is it, or is it Sarah Quint? I can't remember. Yeah, and then. Well, if you go to my page, you type in Sarah, she'll pop up. So just to, just, just to review, that is your wife, correct? But yeah, this is my wife. Probably, my wife. probably something you want to fucking learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> John, do you know? Yeah. Favorite, favorite <laughs> color, anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we got a kin stretch class that she runs mm -hmm. so when the gyms open up we run out of matt brown's place uh and then uh and but for the time being now we're uh online we oh we just lost seth for a sec oh yeah so you're you're online and then <laughs> anything else to add boys I'll, I'll add all the stuff uh to to the uh beginning where they can find you. I'll, I'll give you a hand, John. I'll add all of those links and stuff. I appreciate uh, it. But anyway, it's, it's been great, Seth. Uh, good to get you uh, nailed down so we can talk to you. I've been looking forward to it. Sorry we couldn't drive out. I know, man. I, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to meet you. Are you coming to, are you coming, uh, to Columbus in October or something? I mean, I don't know if I'm ever leaving my house for the next year. Uh, because oh, my there's, gosh. There's a thing going on. I don't know if you've, if you've uh, read anything. I have, I have read, but John told me something about like in October, there's going to be like a seminar or something. I figure I hit a peak check on you or something. Dude, I, I, I have never wanted to travel to do a seminar more than I have in the last month, man. Like, I, <laughs> like I love, I love being here. You know what I mean? I, but like everyone else, I'm sure. Uh, I just want to, I just want to like reach out and shake someone's hand at this point. Like anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, virtual shake. Oh, hey, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> Anyway, boys, uh, you guys have a good one. We'll do this again soon. Uh, and thank you very much. Um, take it easy to all you listeners out there. Bye.